What's up, everybody, and welcome to the season five premiere of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan, and unfortunately, we are without Taylor today as he is traveling through the UK, but I am thrilled to be joined by a very special guest for today's season premiere episode. He is the host for all things Sabres, folks, from Sabres Live to the pregame intermission and postgame reports. It is my pleasure to welcome Brian Duff to the pod. Brian, welcome to Straight Up Sabres. Brandon, great to be here. Thank you. Absolute pleasure having you on. We said on our last episode when we initially teased this that you were somebody that we both wanted to have on for an interview for quite a long time. So we're very happy making this happen. But let's just get right into it because there is so much to talk about when it comes to the the various storylines facing the Sabres this season. And I think the main storyline is probably in net. Historically speaking, we know 21-year-old goalies don't find success at the NHL level, especially when they lack professional experience. However, if there is a goalie that can buck that trend, it feels like it's Devin Levi. While everybody is going to have to show up this season, it feels a lot like a lot of the weight is going to fall on Levi's shoulders. So I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts as to how you feel Levi is going to fare this year being a starter at the NHL level. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big question is, even if he is the starter what does what would that mean could that mean as far as total number of games and and then you run into the next question which is okay well who's going to play the bulk of the other games which we still don't know yet because we still have three goalies on the roster and i'm quite sure i may have said off air last week that if i was a betting man i still think they might start the season with three goalies on the roster but we'll see how it plays out this week i will say this yesterday i had a chance to just uh, enjoy the preseason game in the stands with my uh, youngest daughter. And first of all, that was a treat. I hadn't done that in a while. Just try to really soak it in. And Devin Levi, probably if I'm thinking about how Don's post-game address and everything went yesterday, I don't think anybody talked about Devin Levi. And I thought he was playing well. And then all of a sudden they had a couple of, you know, poor uh, defensive plays and they were down three, nothing. He was so consistent and good the rest of the way. And I emphasize the word good because I think that's really all we're asking for this year is we don't like, like this team needs good goaltending across the board. Yep. Great. Great is obviously what you aim for eventually uh, and in the short term, but if they get from like the mid twenties ranking in goaltending from last year into, let's say even between 16 and 20, like the, again, it showed yesterday, they were patient. They came back with four goals. They have the ability to score. Right. Um, so I, I think good goaltending and Devin Levi go hand in hand here. Um, but I am still really, really curious to see how the backup situation plays out. And, and, um, I would say that so far in the preseason, the goaltending has been good. There hasn't been a, you know, a ton of reps for all the guys yet, but I've thought, uh, I thought Eric Comrie looked really, um, comfortable, you know, really poised that Pittsburgh game. I mean, it was uh, very, uh, lopsided as far as experience was concerned in the roster. And I mean, Eric stared down their best guys repeatedly. So, but Devin is just, he's, I mean, we all know it, like from the moment he stepped in at the end of last year. He's different. He's uh, he's he's wired um, in a way that we haven't seen in a while. I mean, everybody's got their little quirks and habits and things like that. Um, Devons are definitely different than any we've seen for the Sabres. And uh, 
I would say so far it's gotten him to the exact right place at his age. Absolutely. There's a composure there, it feels like, that you just don't typically see in players his age in general. I mean, it's kind of comparable, I feel like, even though they play different positions, to but Owen Power last year, where I felt like one of the big calling cards of his game is how poised he would be, especially under pressure. And for a player who's 19 years old, being able to do that, obviously Levi's got a couple years on him, but Mm -hmm. it's almost like the equivalent in a way with Levi being a goalie and how those development tracks kind of differ. So yeah, it it is going to be interesting to see how that backup goaltending situation is going to break down because you'd probably think they don't want to run into the same problem they had last year with carrying three goalies on the roster, even though that's kind of how things are being set up right now. Yeah. So- it all depends. I mean, the, the, the obvious next uh, question would be if they kept three, then it's going to limit them elsewhere as far as, you know, and I, I think they have such a glut of defensemen right now that if they are at, fearful or at risk of, in their mind, losing somebody on waivers, then I would assume they want to start the year with eight defensemen, as opposed to typically you would keep seven. And right now they have 12. And honestly, like they're, they're basically down to like 18 forwards, 12 defense and three goalies right now. Um, they have given all these defensemen a long look and I never would have told you that Ryan Johnson, and I don't even know if he is, but I never would have said he's in the mix after the Mm -hmm. first five preseason games, but he has had some absolutely outstanding moments. And um, Jeremy Davies has shown way more than I would have imagined after he played in just one game last year. Riley Stillman does not look like the same defenseman that came over last year that had been in a tough situation, was coming in to bring physicality, all that. The one thing that has been very noticeable, and Yoki Haru is maybe the best example of it, but the trickle down is, is, is right there. It's clear that the coaching staff wants defensemen to make plays. Don't be afraid of not being able to make a play. And like I'm seeing Riley Stillman do spinoramas into the offensive <laughs> zone. And Jeremy Davies drew a couple of penalties yesterday. Why? Because he held on to the puck for like two seconds longer than he normally would. And these are the things that they're this is why the team is exciting to watch because they're not afraid to hang on to the puck and make plays. And that's what this whole game is about now. But the fact that you're seeing it through defensemen seven through twelve on your chart right now is really eye-opening to me. So I don't know what it means because all this ties back to how many goalies do they keep yeah. and then how many defensemen. So like, there's just, this is a huge week here to see kind of how it all plays out. Well, and that's a great transition as I wanted to get into the goalies because the main off-season additions, really the only ones I should say that happened, were on the blue line as they signed Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson to three and one-year deals respectively. So I want to start off with Clifton as he's been getting time with Darlene on the first pair. He did find some success playing with Hampus Lindholm last year in Boston on that first pair for runs throughout the season, mainly in the early parts of the year. But it seems like the Sabres are hoping that he's going to thrive in an increased role this year. How do you feel as though he fits as Darlene's partner and within the D room as a whole this season? Uh, At this point, I can honestly say I have no idea because they haven't given Clifton or Johnson any preseason games yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And typically, 
practices run at the same time as us being on the air for Sabres Live. So it's really hard to uh, imagine how they're looking in practice and uh, and what that could mean during a game. But again, like very quickly, just speaking to the point of being able to come back from a 3-0 deficit yesterday against Columbus, um, they were doing it without five of their six defensemen for this coming year. But you never would have known that because mm -hmm. there's, you know, so my interpretation of that is if they believed in Clifton enough to bring him in on a three-year deal, they knew that all of this skill set, A, was already established, and B, that they can, like everybody else they brought in, they can tweak it to make it complementary and as close to perfect for, you know, insert partner name here. And in Clifton's case, maybe it's Darlene. And in Eric Johnson's case, maybe it's Matias Samuelson, right? Um but I, I think they're in a really, really nice place here. I'm just I'm just really curious to see how these guys do. But I will say this, um, as you know, like I defer to Marty a lot when it comes to experience within the game, uh, reading players and just, you know, kind of body language and stuff like that. And both of us were so blown away and incredibly impressed by Eric Johnson's presence when he came and just, um, you know, kind of routinely just sat down with us over at Harbor center a couple of weeks ago for a quick chat. And I, I think grossly underestimated his presence in Colorado. Mm. And I think it's, uh, and not that's, I mean, to me, Eric Johnson has just been a guy that's had a good career, right? right? Like just, you know, it's never easy to be less than an offensive superstar and be a number one pick. Right. But he navigated his way and he finally got the cop and everything, but I would be shocked if he doesn't have a pretty pronounced impact on this entire group. Well, I'm, I want to talk about Johnson next. And, and that led right into my next question. You know, Johnson, he kind of feels like the perfect vibes guy to add into the right. room because you have, obviously he just seems like a, a genuinely good dude, but on top of that, yeah, as you mentioned, he's a cup winner. He's a former first overall pick and he's maybe not had the career that you would expect out of a number one overall pick, but still a rock solid career nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And while he should bolster that bottom pair for the Sabres, as we've talked about, it, it's undeniable the impact that the the vibes within the room, whatever you want to call it, have had a, a pretty significant impact on a lot of these younger players and have helped mm -hmm. influence them both on and off the ice. But I'm curious, again, if you could speak a little bit more to Johnson and really how having, you know, the cup winner with the pedigree that he has had and the longevity of a career that he's had, how that really is going to impact this team off the ice. Well, I think that's where it seemed like it was most pronounced already. Um, and that's just through, you know, what you hear from other players, um, probably mentioning it without even being prompted. I think that's always a telling thing. Um, I didn't realize, it, you know, at first when they brought Johnson in that he was lifelong friends with Kyle, which obviously, uh, you know, speaks to um, uh I don't know, just an incredible, I mean, they've just had a very similar journey, I think, when it comes to longevity and the fact they've known each other for so long. I mean, th this organization seems to revere Kyle for everything he's given to this team. And I think um, really appreciating his, um, I don't know, like instinct for the game, but intelligence for the game, more like almost moving forward. Like, I think it's easy to project Opozo graduating, if you will, from his playing career into something where it becomes hands-on within the hockey department, right? 100%. And, and so I think 
when you start connecting all these dots and you realize that, you know, him and Eric uh, kind of went through everything together from like 10 years old on, I would be naive if I didn't think that, you know, they didn't reach out to Kyle ahead of time. And, um, and that, and that kind of falls true with a lot of the situations here. So um, like, even my gosh, like Eric Comrie was on with us a couple of days ago and he was, he was speaking in a way that most players don't speak of when it comes to applauding management for how they evaluate young talent. And like, it came out of nowhere. And I'm just like, is this guy's career done? And is he like angling for a hockey department job? Like what's going on here? And, but he was from his position, he was just appreciative because he's seen enough now in his late twenties to recognize what clearly the hockey department is seeing and why they're drafting what they're drafting. So to your whole good vibes thing and everything, like the, these are the areas where I'm hearing comments that I don't like, this is very unique, not, not just a Buffalo thing. Like I, I don't recall this kind of talk very often. So that's cool. I mean, it's um, it does feel like an all in together kind of thing. Very encouraging. So one last question on the blue line before we transition into the forwards. Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Powers play, I think we all know, will really be the engine that drives the blue line this season with how they're both going to be relied upon so heavily. Dahlin put up a Norris contention level season last year and is poised to take another step further into that conversation this year. Power was a Calder finalist, of course, who plays beyond his years with an unprecedented poise and smoothness within his game and so I'm just curious for your thoughts on the outlook for the Sabres top two defensemen yeah I wouldn't expect much different I mean the the tricky part is projecting you know how much higher Darlene can go from a point standpoint and does power in any way eat into that potentially on certain power play situations where he might get might get the uh you know, a look, it all depends on, you know, how a power play starts, what unit was out there before when the penalty was called, but obviously Darlene's going to get the primary minutes, power will get the secondary minutes on the power play. I would think power can logically jump up closer to 50 points. Uh, I don't think that's out of reach at all. I think Darlene was trending uh, for so long into a 90 plus point season that there's no reason to put a cap on him at 73. I think it was pretty clear that he hit a, you know, a bit of a wall, um health wise and with the group there when they they kind of you know had the speed bump and whatever it was um early march i suppose before Mm -hmm. they went on the last 11 game run um so i yeah i think um and especially after seeing like what eric carlson was able to put up last year i think we'd be silly to to ever limit the truly best puck handlers you know at that position in the game um and uh, you know and again an encouraging aspect is the the power play overall was really good for most of the year had a dip in the final quarter took them out of the top five but because of what we see talent wise on both units which is really important here uh i don't think there's any reason that that you you would see and or imagine a drop off in Darlene's case so but again the, the the whole thing is um you know just kind of five on five who does this partner um typically become but i think they've left it really wide open uh brendan as far as just the interchangeability of of all the the group of six and especially the top four um and obviously the biggest area that needs to be improved uh within that is the penalty kill Mm -hmm. so then how do the penalty kill minutes get divided and you know what does that mean for you know does that 
put more minutes on other guys' plates, so that means more even strength and minutes for Darlene. Like, I don't know. It, it'll just be really interesting to watch. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, one of the – well, I think Darlene's only played the one preseason game so far, but holy cow. Like, when you when you don't watch him for a few months and then you realize just how good that breakout first pass is from anywhere in his zone, you're just like, whew. Yeah, he's – it's this helps. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty special. Oh. <laughs> Well, let, let's uh, let's get into the forward group here. I mean, there there's just so many intriguing pieces that we sh- can discuss and that I'd like to discuss with you. But let's start with the guy who has been really turning heads this preseason and Zach Benson. I think just about everyone felt like the Sabres got an absolute steal drafting him 13th overall. But I don't think anybody really saw him making an actual push for an opening night roster spot. Mm-hmm. Now, that became more of a possibility, of course, with the injuries to Quinn and Savoy, but still his play this year, it's it stood out and has earned him this contention. He's highly skilled. He's really able to play up to the level of his line mates. And we've mm-hmm. seen that with him getting time with with both Tage and with Jeff Skinner. He sees the game well and he just processes reads for someone his age as just such a high level. And so I'm curious, Duffer, do you think that he has earned a spot on the opening night roster thus far? And do you think that there is any chance that this could be more than a nine game trial? Well, I mean, it sure feels like it's trending this way. Um, But again, you have so many forwards right now. Um, we haven't, you know, even Opozo just got into his first preseason game yesterday and immediately picked up three points. But I think the obvious answer would be yes, simply because why would the coaching staff put him where they put him for the entirety of this time, which is with Tage. Um, and it's, it was funny because yesterday that line became dash three real quick. Uh, they had a t- they had some tough moments uh, in coverage around their net, and then Columbus just couldn't stay out of the box. And Buffalo's power play, you know, went three for four in the last half of the game, and and Benson was a huge part of that. So um, it was a full on learning experience. But at the end of the day, what you like to see is, okay, you had some tough moments, make up for it, and they did. And that's asking a lot, I think. I don't care what type of game you're playing at what time of year. Um, but he's, I mean, you've seen the little video clips that, that people are sharing on social already, like the little moments where it's a stick lift here, it's a dart in here. And it's, you know, and again, it goes back to puck possession. He'll hang on to it just long enough to free up somebody and, and make a great play. And I was watching him yesterday do the same thing. Like you're looking at a situation going, Hey, he's got a 20% chance to win this puck. And he goes in and all of a sudden you're like, what just happened? You know, he's very, very, very deft in in his ability to do that. Marty, like, completely threw me for a loop a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was kind of based on physical look, but also maybe a projection as well. But he's like, you know he, who he reminds me of? I'm like, and so we whittled it down. And I was like, what decade? What team? He says Montreal. And I'm like, Claude Lemieux. And he goes, yeah, Claude Lemieux. And I'm like, Wow. I was absolutely blown away. And then from that moment on, Benson's been chippy and takes penalties. And you're like seeing him in that scope. I'm I'm seeing him in that scope. And even yesterday, there was a moment before Columbus took their final ill-fated penalty. It happened in the at the other end of the ice, but it was like after the whistle, Benson uh lifted or kicked at like Dume's stick. 
And sure enough, less than a minute later, Dume found himself in the box. And I don't know whether he was agitated, irritated, annoyed by Benson or whatever. He's in the box. Sabres get the go-ahead goal. And I'm like, did I, am I imagining what just happened here or what? You know, so it was, look, he's, he's been the talk of the camp. I think, um, you know, it was great to see Tuck back yesterday for his first game as well. Um, I don't know. I'm glad you mentioned Savoy because that's kind of the forgotten aspect of all this. And I feel terrible that, you know, he hasn't had the chance to, to earn a spot, but I, I certainly don't think they've ruled him out. Um, but man, there's a lot of forwards here. I don't know. I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're going to do, but I obviously Benson's been given uh, the prime real estate, if you will. Uh, I think to a lesser extent, but um, you know, so it would be in a different role, but I think, I think Brandon Byro has been, been really, really, really good. And he's obviously a lot further along on the age curve and has already had his one NHL game so far. They believe in him a lot. So I don't know. I don't know whether that makes for tough decisions when it comes to like the Josts and the Olafsons and of the world, you know, as far as how they end up slotting in. But um, it's a pretty great problem to have. They've given Kulik and Roseanne a lot of looks. They've each had four games. Uh, the points haven't materialized for them yet, but I don't think they've been ineffective by any Agreed. stretch. I think, I think Kulik or Kulik, I think we're going with now. Um, oh, it I is think, Kulik. Okay. Yeah. Well, Yuri, so they, the Amherst put out a, a little video on Instagram the other day where they all introduced themselves. And it was very clear when Yuri said, I'm Yuri Kulik, you know, so I'm going to go with that for now. But um I, the the nice thing is is they're they're not lacking for confidence like like Kulik is still shooting from everywhere um, so that that speaks to to mean uh, maturity and not a lack of frustration by not getting points and Rosean is just you know he's super smart everywhere so but I think logical thing would be to place <clears throat> send them back to Rochester at this point but um, I don't know I mean it's 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 hard to argue that Benson hasn't been the the forward story of the camp. So. Absolutely. I mean, it is a good problem to have, like you said, and I'd be surprised, honestly, if by the end of the season that we don't end up seeing all of Benson, Savoy, Kulik and yeah, right. getting games. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's possible. Yeah. And and Byro, too. I mean, I think that he is he's kind of been in that conversation of like the fringe NHL, AHL guy for the past couple of years here. But it really feels like this time around that mm-hmm. there's a legitimate push for him being the 13th forward this year. So one other guy you mentioned there was Alex Tuck. And as we all know, last year, we had saw career seasons from from Tage, Tuck and Jeff Skinner. Uh, They firmly asserted themselves as one of the premier lines in the NHL. And the three of them are just bursting with chemistry when they're on the ice together. You just see it just about every single shift, whether it's obviously the highlight real goals that we've seen or even just like the simple plays on the four check and how they're all able to kind of cover for each other and know where each other are at all times on the ice. So I want to ask you, Duffer, like, is Tage going to hit 50 or 60 and how quickly will he do so? But what I will ask you, though, is where do you stand on breaking that lineup versus keeping them together? Well, uh, pre-Zach Benson, uh, (laughs) I would have said "Eh, maybe I would just stick with with Tuck where, where he is comfortable. But I think I'm leaning towards breaking them up at the moment only because we haven't really seen a full-on cousins line so you know we i would like to see a game or two of paterka cousins and tuck 
to then have a better opportunity to evaluate this situation. And if you were able to then, you know, I, there's no reason to believe that that wouldn't work. Um, and obviously you always have that interchangeability within a game to, to do what's necessary in, in a, you know, whatever the situation calls for. But um, yeah, I just, I'm having it. Like I really wanted Victor and it's hard at his age. Like it's hard to kind of, not that he needs to reinvent himself, but it's hard to come in and make a splash. I think at a certain age when you've been around long enough, but I just don't know if Victor would be the right guy to be filling in for Quinn on that cousin's line, Agreed. which I think is why I'm more open to having Tuck go on there. It, especially if you can maintain, you know, the similar to same offensive pop with the Thompson line, if you have somebody like Benson up there. So, and, and again, it seems crazy that we're even talking about Benson, like staying any length of time, but he's put himself in the conversation. So we have to roll with it. It's, it's just, you know, but Tuck was really good yesterday. I know um, he would have liked to have had a couple of goals, but um, he, I was surprised, um, you know, again, not getting to witness practice as much as I, I would typically like. Um, he is really, really, really lean right now. Like it's very noticeable. And um, I just like for a guy that already has this incredible speed and, you know, I just think he's an amazing, amazing place to do great things again. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and so you talked about Dylan Cousins there and how that line is going to end up shaking out while uh, Jack Quinn is on the shelf. Uh, another guy I think who is maybe in contention for that spot would also be Casey Middlestat. And that's why yeah. I kind of want to take my next question uh, regarding Cousins and Middlestat. It feels like both have very different maybe I'm using the word questions here a little too harshly, but different questions facing them going into this season mm -hmm. on cousins. The, the finishing touch developed last year. He really took a step forward as a producer and a play driver. And now it's how will the defensive side of the game of his game further develop? Whereas on middle stat, he really put it all together on a consistent basis for the first time in his career. And we finally got to see the player that they drafted as a top 10 pick. He undeniably needs to start shooting the puck more this season, but for me, the real question is, and this kind of ties back into your point from before, not only is it will that consistency continue, but what his long-term future looks like with not only a new contract looming, but also the mm -hmm. wealth of young talent at forward that's waiting in the wings. So I'm yeah. curious, Stuffer, what are you looking for out of Cousins and Middlestat this coming season? Well, it's it's almost like we're having the same discussion with the defense core. Like, there's no reason to cap these guys' projections at this point. I mean, the fact that Middlestat was knocking on the door of 60 points uh, for a season that most people weren't talking about him for the entirety of the year right. um, is pretty impressive. And so, and nowadays, when you're talking about anybody in the 70-plus point range, like, you're talking about, you know, those are big Quality numbers. Quality guys. Yeah. Now, granted, the league is trending towards more offense, so that's nice that we don't have to you know, like I laugh every year when we look at rookie of the year discussion and, you know, all the PR departments promoting this guy for his 35 point season as a rookie. I'm like, please, I watched Tamo Solani score 76 times as a rookie, you know, <laughs> goals, not points, you know, so stop with the tire pumping here. But no, it's, um, I, it, it's, it's a really, really, really valid question. The future component of it, it the, the marrying of a contract to a player that um, is clearly um, coming into his own here in the NH and is clearly adored by the coaching staff and his teammates. 
which goes back to your original vibes point, right? So, man, I just, here's the logical thing. Beyond this year, now we were saying this last year too. At some point, Jurgensen's and Opozo are not going to be there, right? Mm-hmm. So at the very, and Olofsson, let's say, but at least you're going to have two more spots opening up, right? So how quickly do you fill these roles with, but again, what are you filling it with? Are you like, Matt Savoy's probably not coming in to be a fourth line player. Right. But Tyson Kozak looks like he could evolve into a fourth line player more, you know. Sure. Consistent, you know, but I don't know. It's just, this is why I try not to play the projection game. <laughs> like every time the athletic comes out with an article and says, this is what your team's going to look like in two years. I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, like I'm focused on here and now, and I don't care what it's going to look like in two years. Right. Right. Um, but it's just, um, I, it, I'm just glad we're having the discussion, but I wish I had a better, I, I'm still sitting here wondering like, is, is Casey going to be full-time center or is he going to slot in at the wing? Like, I mean, it's, these are valid questions. So, but it is, I, I mean, I think again, like there's a, there's an opportunity there potentially on the cousins line, you know, and, and I think it's also interesting too, when you look at a guy like Peyton Krebs, I mean, last year he was primarily playing with Gergensen's and Oposo, mm-hmm. and it was great that he was able to really round out the defensive side of his game in a way that I think was pretty unexpected, but there's a lot of talent there. I mean, his skating is incredible. Like he is mm-hmm. a, he's got great straight line speed. He's good at utilizing his edges. There's obviously the way that he's able to see the game and the kind of pure playmaker that he has within mm-hmm. him. And so, you know, Krebs, I think kind of qualifies among that group of guys that you're maybe wondering like, okay, is he going to be one of the ones that's going to kind of take that cousins level step this year? I think he's in the conversation. I think Paterka is mm-hmm. absolutely in the conversation right. and prior to the injury is in the conversation. So uh, among that group, and I think there's other guys too. I mean, you could throw maybe Greenway in there, depending on how much of a fan somebody is of him or, or Jost potentially, but I think maybe his offensive ceiling is kind of is where it is, but Right. Uh, Duffer, of that group of those younger forwards here, is there one that stands out to you that maybe is the most well positioned to take that kind of cousins level step or, or yeah. I don't want to say Tage, but you know what I mean, taking a big step in their development? Well, the fact that Dylan's a 30 goal scorer already is is pretty impressive. Um, and I think JJ Paterka has to be that guy. Um, I think it's funny. I I was watching, I did catch uh, a good chunk of the uh, practice the other morning. It was a game day, actually. And I was watching an end of session drill with JJ and a bunch of the other guys. And almost every release by Paterka, I'm like, holy cow. And then it was different. Yeah. But the problem is, problem is, I don't know if he trusts his shot Mm. in game. And so I need, and want to see him trust it because it is there. It is so there. And he, he's a bit of a pass first guy. Um, And part of that was okay because like he developed such a good chemistry through the year with Quinn and cousins. And they often put themselves in positions to, you know, make the spectacular passing play and score the goal. But JJ to me is a guy who's going to get a lot of odd man rushes and I want to see him trust the shot, 
like we saw Brandon Byro do, you know, a couple of games ago, like we've seen some of the defensemen do yep. like, as soon as you get down in close to the hash mark and you're in like an odd man situation, take Fire a shot, it. pick a corner. And like, I, I just think JJ is really poised. If he gets that belief in his shot in game situations, I think he'll, he'll soar close to 30. In in my opinion, I just, I, I don't know how he, like the chances are going to be there playing with Dylan if he continues to play with Dylan. So a hundred percent. I think Paterka and Middlestat kind of have that in common where they have that like sneaky shooting talent that mm-hmm. because they are more playmakers or pass first kind of players, I think on the surface, it, you don't really see them in that way. But yeah, I mean, Middlestat, I think he only had like 135 shots last year. And to mm-hmm. me, with the shooting talent that he has, like that should be getting a little bit closer to like, you know, 185, 200 potentially. And yeah. Paterka, I think, is the same thing where because he is a very kind of smooth player and he's able to make really good passes in the offensive zone, like a lot of times, like under pressure, I think one of the things too that really the three of them on that line last year with Quinn Paterka and cousins, something that they all kind of had in common was I was surprised at how good they were at making passes under pressure. Like if it's coming out of a puck battle or something Mm -hmm. like that, Krebs has this too. Krebs, I think maybe uh, among everyone else is like maybe one of the best of it, but they all have that ability to kind of be calm under pressure. And when you have a guy on your back or something like that, or coming out of like a corner battle, um all of them kind of have that trait there and so I think it will be interesting because I think everybody could agree that we want to see the JJ Paterka that was representing Germany at the world championships because man oh man if that guy is who shows up opening night this year that's that's going to be a really scary second line well that JJ was definitely on display in Rochester too and you know and I I I just think it was a strange year for them offensively um it's actually more impressive when you think about it what cousins did because when you're playing with two guys I, I realized I think at one point they were almost they were almost all the you know 21 or 20 or whatever but um I it's impressive that cousins navigated that with the limited experience on both sides and and brought them along as well as he did you know so it really speaks to his his growth yeah yeah it's pretty impressive so and now he's you know he's back to being resident tough guy Right? <laughs> like he I was when it. he was when he was breaking in and you know was he had beautiful those, those scraps of the msg in new york and yeah yeah so no it's it's good he's he's clearly got an edge about him and i think um i don't know they for for as similar as a, like this team can look on the surface like talent 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 yep. talent talent there actually are some some nice subtle differences between the guys, which obviously you have to have. Sure. And and I think cousins and and you know certainly to a, a different extent Krebs, you know they seem to embrace the the chaos and physicality a bit now. So that's that's exactly what I actually wanted to ask you next because I think you saw that kind of sneakily in a few guys last year where it's like whoa where did this kind of this Mm -hmm. point in the game come from a little bit I mean I think two guys in addition to the ones you just mentioned there that that really started to stand out with me especially down the stretch I think one was Jack Quinn I think that as the year went on more and more now I know obviously him and Paterka had some struggles you know like around the turn of the calendar year and everything but with Quinn it just felt like in the second half of the year the confidence just really started to jump out when it came to the offensive creation the creativity really what made him so special in rochester mm-hmm. and you really started to see that at the nhl level where it's like wow he's he's taking some chances on things there and i think that in a way kind of lended to 
then him having that confidence offensively had him kind of have that confidence when it came to like him getting in scrums a little bit. Like it was, it was reminding me of how like Jeff Skinner kind of does that in a way. Yeah. Too. And another guy, I think that sneakily along the same lines, but to a different degree was Darlene. I yes. mean, I thought Darlene last year, he did not shy away from no. anybody. If there was, you know, some action after the whistle, he was right in there. He was talking shit to everyone. Like, it was it mm-hmm. was great to watch, you know? Like, yeah. and I think it speaks to the camaraderie of the team, but it also speaks to a growing confidence there. And so with how close you are to the team and following them, I guess, talk, could we talk about that a little bit more? Like, how have you seen for as much talent and skill and creativity that these guys have that you're now also unexpectedly, I think it's fair to say starting to see this kind of like, let's get into it a little bit here. This kind of like roughness to them that they really didn't have before. Yeah. I think well, part of that comes from the unity of, of the group. And I think that they believe that this is the group now, as far as a lot of the interchangeable parts that we've had over the last number of years. So the core guys recognize that they're surrounded by guys that they're likely to be playing with for a long time. So when you're in it together, you're literally in it together. So that's part of it. The other part of it is nobody likes getting sand kicked on you for five, 10 years in a row, right? Like, sure. I mean, at some point, the basic human nature is going <laughs> to fight kick back. In. Like you, you, you have to fight back. And, and I believe that again, like there's a, you know, like for as thoughtful and intelligent and articulate as Don Granado is in tweaking guys to maximize their abilities, like watch when Don doesn't like a call. Ooh, oh my God. God, like steam out the ears. Oh yeah. So, and don't think that the guys don't see that too, because then in that moment, you're seeing a different side, you're next leveling it. Right. Like that. And, and so that, I think that it's impossible for us to say it because we haven't lived it at the highest level athletically. So you're left often with cliches from afar, like, well, you know, athletes mirror their coaches or whatever. Right. And that's not always true, but I think sometimes there is something to be said for a very, you know, um, unemotional coach, Mm -hmm. right? Someone who just absorbs it without, and just is kind of unflappable, but maybe, maybe the team needs more than that sometimes, but there's no, there's no perfect chemistry. We we know that there's no equation that you can have to build, you know, the perfect team. Um, But I do think Don, I think, I think this is a big part of it. Like Don won't tolerate it in the sense of like, he knows how these guys can push back. And I think whether it's encouraging them or I, again, I think it's part of their natural evolution, but I think Don's the right guy for it. So. Couldn't agree more. So before we get into some off ice and some more fun questions, let's hear a (laughs) quick word from our sponsors, DraftKings Sportsbook and Thin Man Brewery. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. We're back with another week of football and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code THPN. The crown is yours. 
gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit www.1800gambler.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text OPEN-Y at 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for palm gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort and licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Ch- Lake Charles. 21 and over, but age will vary by the Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. And this podcast is also brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. And folks, we've been talking to you about Minky Day for a few weeks now and still excited. Minky Boodle, who doesn't love it? But there is one change to announce. The date and time are the same. It's Saturday, October 14th from noon to 4 p.m. Uh, but it's no longer at the Thin Man Brewery. It is at Coles on Elmwood and the Coles patio, which we're hearing a lot of good things about, folks. You're hearing more and more about Coles. Great spot, one of the classic bars, and in a, in a nice little location. So, hey, Thin Man on Elmwood, that, you know, nice to have that back, even for just a few hours. Uh, and if you're interested in Minky Day, I'll tell you up front, you can get your tickets at thinmanbrewery.com, Eventbrite. Or Thin Man's link tree on Instagram. So wherever you're most comfortable with. Tickets are $45, and that includes a built-in $5 donation to the Men Wear Pink campaign that raises money for the American Cancer Society's fight against breast cancer. Ticket includes, what do you get with it? You get with your ticket is access to the event, exclusive access. No one can go without a ticket. You get a Thin Man glass. You get one seven-ounce pour of each Minky Boodle variant. There's four variants this year. There's also live music from Obstab Dub System and Spooky Steven and Minky Boodle Mimosa Bar from noon to 1 p.m. and more. You're going to have to show up to find out what the and more is. So the participating breweries that each have one variant of Minky Boodle that you'll only be able to try at this event, Tripping Animals from Miami, Grim from Brooklyn, RIR from Cambridge, Maryland, and Atrium from Louisville, Kentucky. So probably breweries that you're not going to be able to to get beer from a lot and they're each brewing their own take on Minky Boodle. So if you're a fan of sours, a fan of Thin Man, a fan of beer and a fan of good times, get your tickets to Minky Day right now. All right. And we are back folks with Brian Duff. So Brian, the Sabres made what could be considered somewhat surprising of moves this past off season, bringing back both Kyle Pozo and Zemgis Gergensen's. We all know what these guys mean to the locker room and how crucial their leadership has been to this young team. That said, it feels like there's several guys who would excel in leadership positions within the locker room and are already showing signs of that. So not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but how do you foresee this leadership group shaping out once Opozo and Gergensen's move on? And is there anybody in particular that you feel is asserting themselves as mm. captain material or assistant captain material? Yeah, I, I think I would be surprised if Darlene doesn't have the A for the entirety of his career. I don't I don't know if he is the guy that they would put the C on. Interesting. I think it would, think it would all come wow. down to whether Rasmus is fully comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I think he obviously has all the attributes that you would want. Um so I'm I'm curious as to what direction, but I mean he's I, I think it's impossible not to start with him mm-hmm. and then and then it goes from there. So if Darlene doesn't, you know, want that extra attention, if you will, that maybe comes with the C, I don't know. Um, then I could definitely see 
you know, the Tuck Cousins type duo of, you know, um, next wave guys. Tage is interesting too. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how this is not, this is a, this is probably a better Marty question. Like I'm, I'm like way down on the, on the interest meter and captaincy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know why though. Like I used to like just eat it up and I, you know, <laughs> but maybe it's because so many teams have just gone so many years without captains now that subconsciously I just go, eh, if mm-hmm. they don't, if they don't really need to have one, <laughs> then why am I overthinking this? Right. Sure. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's pretty incredible that they have this many guys that, that could easily jump into it. Um, I do think there's a certain, there's a certain element of Alex Tuck that I think would, I would actually love to see um, him with that just because of how he's embraced being able to play here. And mm-hmm. uh, I just think he's done everything right since he came here. And I know that doesn't mean anything or everything to, to being the captain, but um uh, but I, I do appreciate, you know, kind of a lot of what he's brought for sure. You are certainly not alone in that. That, yeah. that is for certain. So I, I got to ask, Duffer, mm-hmm. neighbors have recently been connected to a couple of forwards at opposite ends of their careers in the form of Trevor Zegris and Pat Kane. Now, mm. we don't know the full extent of the interest or what conversations have or have not happened, but the conversations on both have been pretty interesting. So I'm curious where you stand on both players and how you feel, if you feel, I should say, they would fit in the mix here in Buffalo. I would be lying to you if I didn't say that I was far more interested in the Zegris rumor mm-hmm. than the Kane one. But then the reality comes in and you're like, yeah, but what are you giving up here? Like, and what's sure. the point? But it would be fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I, I honestly don't know um, what you would be giving up. And, um, but I think part of the, uncertainty for me in answering this is I genuinely don't know what the ducks are doing right now. Like I, I, I great question. It, it, it's so Verbeek has not been in the position long and I'm having a tough time reading what exactly is going on out there. So sure. um, because it's not just Zegris, like, you, you know, if, the Troy Terry stuff was crazy. Well, but even like, but Drysdale, right? Like I Mm -hmm. get it. Like they've drafted a lot of really like their defense core in the next five years could be unbelievable based on the prospects that they have. But when Drysdale misses almost an entire season last year, it has to be in his best interest to get into camp and get playing again. Yep. It's not happening. And I don't know why. Like, it, none of this makes any sense to me. It's They're in not both up the best the interests. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. So, so I, I have a tough time answering that one. And obviously, we hear the Sabres so often, including in this most recent episode of Embedded from the draft, like, you know, managing assets, not parting with assets unnecessarily, right? Well, Pat Kane's easy. You don't have to part with any assets, right? Mm-hmm. You just sign them. So, I would say there's a higher probability of Kane um, of the two coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, when we kind of started our conversation today, it was how do the lines shake down? And because we're focusing on Benson holding that spot right now on the top line, the reality is Benson either gets his games or doesn't goes back to junior. 
Tuck goes back on the top line and you're still sitting here wondering who's on the second line with Cousins. Sure. And is it Pat Kane? And is it easier to just put Pat Kane in there than, you know, than assume somebody else is going to be able to fill the, I don't know. Um, Obviously I know that, you know, but based on everything I've heard is that, you know, they have an interest. It would be impossible not to have an interest in a hall of fame player, uh, especially one who's from here. But um, yeah, I think they're going to probably need to see an awful lot more. I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm super concerned about his ability to come off of this hip surgery, right? Like it's just not, it's not easy. Um, But at the same time, I mean, you can only imagine what the buzz would be like in this town if Pat Kane came in and got off to a hot start and looked like he'd, uh, you know, found the exact right way to close out his career. So, sure. yeah. yeah, it feels like the arguments for that are definitely, for the most part, I should say, are like both on just the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, whereas I feel like the kind of most logical answer to it is probably somewhere in the middle there where you can kind of see why it would work and definitely yeah. can see why it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. One thing that you brought up there that I, I am curious your your thoughts on, and Taylor and I talk about this a lot, is the asset management. Mm-hmm. The Sabres, I think, are in probably as solid of a position as any NHL team to take a big swing without it necessarily causing much of a dent in the prospect cupboard. I mean, you look at just the makeup of the roster right now, the top two lines Quinn included on that second line are probably pretty set for the foreseeable future. You would think Mm -hmm. then after that, you have young guys like Middlestat, Krebs, that just jump out at you. But then when you look at the recent first rounders, there is Kulik, there is Benson, there's Savoy, there's Rosean, there's Osland, there's even the second rounders and like Anton Wahlberg, for example, Mm -hmm. they, they not only just have an unbelievable amount of these talented young prospects, but as much of a reality as people may not want to face, there's no way that all these guys are going to be able to be sabers at the same time. So I'm just kind of curious, Brian, where do you stand on the sabers taking that big swing, whether it is, Hey, let's go get somebody that's going to be like a legitimate difference maker in the forward group, or let's go out and get the, the big fish partner for Owen power to play with in the top four. Because again, this team, it's like, you can, even if you are subtracting, uh, a Rosean and or an Ostland or even a first round pick coming up, mm-hmm. you still probably have one of the five best prospect groups in the entire NHL. So, yep. wh- what are your where's your stance on that? Well, I think there's, I think Kevin Adams will absolutely pull the trigger on a big deal if he feels like they're not heading the way they're expecting to, and or m- maybe, I mean, I. I just think there's no apprehension on his part. I I, I firmly believe okay. that he knows exactly what they have, and um, and if necessary, then I would say he he'll he'll do what needs to be done. I I I don't I it comes a time you've already laid it all out. Like I mean, everyone knows what they have. There are no secrets here. Right. So they are definitely in an ultimate position of strength organizationally that they have not had. Well, I don't even know, like probably almost 20 years, right? Based, based, based on what was coming out of Rochester in 03, 04, 04, 05. But um, yeah, it's impressive. And they've they've really not sh- 
they've really not thrown away much in the way of draft capital or anything like that. So, um, you know, you get through this next phase of figuring out what the future next contracts are for Darlene and Power, and then that kind of really shapes your understanding of how everybody else can slot in, which, I mean, they're constantly doing. Every team is constantly doing this. What is our roster going to look like in six months, in 12 months, in 18 months, you know, factoring in everything, contract slides, uh, arbitration, you name it, right? Like right. you're in this constant projection mode, but once you get two more of these big pieces in place, then you're going to have a great idea. That's why as, as tough as it's been to navigate the goaltending conversation, what I love, absolutely love is that we're never talking about goaltender money at the moment. Like it's, <laughs> it's been so reasonable and such a non-issue right. for so long. It's like, good, let's just keep going this way for a little bit and not worry about, do we have to spend $8 million on a goaltender? Right. Right. So, right. Yeah. Sure. And it's, it's, crazy to think too that the sabers are in a position now that of course the darlene and power deals will probably both come in at pretty sizable numbers in the grand scheme of things but mm -hmm. you're kind of in a way protected from that by the fact that your one and two c's are signed for a hair over seven million a year exactly. and then on top of that you have three more years of alex tuck on a very very manageable deal under five million dollars which is just mm -hmm. mind-blowing and mm -hmm. then to put the cherry on top of all of that not that I think he's going anywhere anytime soon, but you're also three years away from Jeff Skinner's 9 million coming off the books. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of in this great spot right now where your core pieces are going to be locked in. You have yeah. these young guys coming through the wings right now that, you know, obviously Quinn and Paterka are going to need deals, but your contention window is going to be happening yes. while you probably still have some combination of Savoy, Kulik and, and Roseanne or whoever else on their ELCs, which is, yeah. it, it's crazy to think, but yeah. let's get into some fun ones here as we're now down the stretch here, Duffer. We don't want to take up too much of your time, but you grew up as a Sabres fan in Whitby, Ontario, and I've got a two-parter here for you. Mm -hmm. Being a fan of the team for as long as you have, who <laughs> has been your favorite player or players to watch? And is there anybody on the team right now that reminds you of a prominent Sabre from years past? Oh, wow. Um, well, Perot always um, from the start was and will always be uh, the favorite Sabre. Um, there's no one quite like Perot, obviously. Of course. Um, I, although, I mean, that being said, like the... There is so much talent on this current roster that it it, it is just super exciting. Um, boy, I don't, you know, Brendan, I don't think I've ever been asked to try to compare any current player to like a past saber that that conjured up, um, you know, memories and stuff. Um, I might have to get back to you on this. So I'll right. have to I'll have to sign up for a follow up episode with you because, uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I mean, like we're just we're. We've gone through there's always every era, no matter how good or bad team wise, you know, from a success standpoint, they're, they're always really cool individual stories. And um, I don't know. I think part of this is out of respect of not wanting to diminish some superstar <laughs> player or not project enough a current player or something course, like that. Of but, course. Uh, yeah. No, it's how about honestly, this. Yeah. I was going to say, how about this? We'll have you back. And uh, I would also love to hear Marty's take on this, just having been a part of the Sabres organization for as long as he has. I'd love to hear yeah. his perspective on that too, but we'll have to have you back for your, uh, your answer for that. I, I'll tell you what I did find the other day though. Um, 
I was rummage, I was purging a lot of stuff that I've been logging around for 30 plus years. And uh, I found the first rejection letter when I applied to the Sabres. Come on. July of 1995. Come on. Yes. Thank you for your resume. We enjoyed going through it. We're going in a different direction at this time. So like 16 years later, I, I got the gig. So Come on. That is yeah. incredible. Do you have yeah, it like framed cool. in the office or something? No, I put it right back in the box that it was in. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I did, I I did share it with a few friends of mine. So yeah. Of sure. course. Oh, I love that. That's incredible. Yeah. All right. Well, how about this one then? This is maybe a, a little bit of uh, an easier one than that. If you could add any Sabre from years past onto the current iteration of the team, who would it be and why? And I, there could be multiple answers for this. Oh, well, I see as soon as you started the question, my like my mom, who's still a diehard Sabres fan, her way of thinking immediately got in my head. So my initial answer is Danny Gare because oh, okay. because you just you other than ironically, I think the player who came in the trade when Danny went to Detroit, there have been very few who could score and fight to the level that Danny Gare and then who he was traded for and Mike Foligno could do. And Danny, when you think of what he walked into as a rookie on a star-laden team that was only four years old, you know, into their expansion, and then all of a sudden he's walking into a team that goes to the Stanley Cup final, and he emerges as the future captain, as the multi-50-goal scorer, you know, like that's, that's a, that would be putting a lot into this lineup when you think about it in that context. Cause we talk about the talent, much like people were talking about the talent back then of the Buffalo Sabres, like the French connection, the greatest line, right? Well, the Thompson line last year was one of the highest scoring lines in the league. But if you were to add a robust, agitating, scrappy 50 goal scorer, Oof. Oh my God. Like, you wow. know, so that's- yeah, I, I, I would have to think it's, it's, it's that, I mean, um, but there are so many great examples from over the years, right? Um, I just, you know, I'm such a Vanek guy. Um, but I think we have our kind of, although nobody's ever the same. That's the thing. Like Van, I wish Vanek was playing now only because I think he was the most underrated passer we've ever had among forwards. And in today's game, we're overpassing results in the most spectacular highlight goals hmm. i think vanek would be the master of it right now i think he he would absolutely dominate he would still probably score as much as he did but his assist totals would be even higher so wow yeah. that's a pair of really interesting answers i appreciate that it wasn't immediately to like oh dominic Hashik or something you know like i i like both of those you know what we've been like we've been so blessed with cool goaltending stories over the course of the franchise's history like i mean solvey and edwards were a vesna tandem and they're like both five nine five eight like i mean it's just it's ridiculous to think back to that era and how good they were and then barrasso comes in and win a, wins a vesna uh pupa was like runner up uh to patrick Waugh one year and then we go right into the dom era and then we go into the miller era and like you know to have had this many vesna either individuals or tandems over the course of 50 plus years has been really interesting. So we've been spoiled, you know, obviously to the highest level with Dom, but it's been pretty good. It's it's all things considered. Like when you look at 
how long the team's been around. And then when you actually go through, okay, how many people have actually skated for the team? And then how many goalies have actually played for the team? You're like, there's not that many goalies. And trust me, we went through most of them in the last 12 years. It was just you know? <laughs> so most frustrating part of the drought is that we were just coming out of just repeated, like uh, every era that it would transition from like goalie to goalie, no matter who it was, it felt like that was always a mainstay with the Sabres that mm -hmm. that was a pretty solid area for them. And now it's just the turnover has just been unbelievable. If you go through the amount of guys that have ended up lacing them up at some point to the point yeah. now we're like, man, remember how great Michael Neuwirth was for that stretch, you know, like, it's crazy how he was, he was marginally better than Yaro Halak who refused <laughs> to play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Sabres hall of famer. Yaro Halak. Love yeah, it. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, I got two more for you, Duffer. Let's yes. get outside the Sabres first for uh, the second last one here. Give me some, a, a team or you can give me a couple teams that you're particularly excited about or interested in this year. Oh boy. Uh, I don't like focusing on anybody in the East because then that you know, runs counter to what we're, uh, expecting to see from the Sabres. But I will say, I, I do think Columbus is going to be better than what people are projecting them to be. And I just, I, the reason I bring that up is I just think you have to be mindful of it and know that the points aren't going to be as easy to come by uh, mm. from the quote unquote bottom feeders of the Eastern Conference. Um, but as far as teams to watch, hmm. Uh, this is... I don't know. LA is interesting to me always. Um, and they also have like $0 invested in goaltending, yeah. but the rest, the rest of their team is really, really stacked. Um, so if it doesn't work, like, I don't know what they're going to do. I think it will work. I mean, but they, they've been having trouble getting over the first round hump and I don't know how they're going to do that in that conference based on the Vegas's and um, the Oilers of the world, um, you know, so I think that's going to be uh, really crazy to watch. Um, I don't know. Uh, I am, I am intrigued as always by like, what's Ryan O'Reilly going to do in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're just kind of Nashville. Like they're, you know, if they hang in the race, they, they will, because probably UC Soros is standing on his head. Another thing um, off season too. I, I, yeah. I don't really get what Nashville was, was trying yeah. to do offseason because it's like you get out of the Duchesne thing which just was a little bit puzzling to me and then you move yeah. Johansson which I can get and so you're like okay are they going to start to maybe try and tear this down and rebuild a mm -hmm. bit I mean you have Saros there but you also have Askarov behind him mm -hmm. and then they kind of lean in and just sign a, a handful of veterans and it's like okay so you are trying to compete then why did you just get exactly. rid of yeah they're I know case over there in nashville yeah but those are the, those two are just my typical teams that i watch on non-saber nights i almost always watch nashville and la i have forever so um but yeah i, I it's uh man the east is just it is it's crazy it's, like, it's yeah i mean it feels like in both both divisions there's conceivably like six teams that could be yeah. in for playoff spots here and yeah. also i'll say too i'm definitely in agreement with you on la i think la for me you can make a pretty rock solid argument that they have about as good of a forward group and as deep of a forward group as any team in the league mm -hmm. <clears throat> taylor and i have been saying too that man i i know they've the, the sabers were connected to it a little bit but my god if there is any team that not only makes sense for a connor hellybuck trade but would also benefit from that. Yeah. I think LA gets Hallibuck. They are 
the team to beat coming out of the West. I can't believe they didn't make a bigger play to get him. I, I, I'm still sitting here stunned at it. Yeah. 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 So. All right, Duffer, my last question for you. It's, it's the one that everybody wants to know. It's on everybody's mind. Oh, no. How do you think the Sabres are going to fare this season? And oh. that they end the NHL's longest playoff drought. I'm so I can't, <laughs> I can't say no, obviously. Uh, you're the first person to put me on the spot. I was waking. This was supposed to be like Sabres live on the on the eve of the season. The Bulls predictions. He's in that. Um, right. No, I. If I'm being true to how I often evaluate things um it's not it's less about what i think and more about what i see and know and appreciate and respect and understand from those around the situation those in the situation like i'm just not a uh i'm not an outlandish prognosticator you know like i don't say shit just to say shit um so it has to be a really thoughtful answer. And that's kind of why I was like, um, you know, saying what I was saying about Columbus and the Eastern Conference, because the only hesitation or the only thing that I, I, I've i wanted, to, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer or I don't want to just be overly realistic about stuff, but everyone in this town is so excited right now. But I think sometimes, and right, understandably so, people don't remember that there's 31 other teams trying to do the same thing. And I have way too much respect for all the other teams that are in that cluster. And it might well be like a 10 team cluster for five or six spots in the East. And I mean, like really close, like I could see 10 teams being separated by five points or less when this season is done. And And in that case, it becomes a coin flip in the final two weeks here, right? Like, so, but yeah, everything they've done has them, in my, in my opinion, in a position to be finally worthy of being a playoff team. So here's hoping. (laughs) Hoping. Well said. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We, we very, very much appreciate it. And like you said, I can't believe you didn't ask about music. Uh, listen we all all right let's get into it then what have you been listening to i didn't want to take up too much of your time here but tell us what have you been listening to these days i mean we've encountered each other many a times at shows yeah. like, like over the past couple months here what have you been liking lately well it's i don't know what's happened to me but i feel like um it started out as like americana and then now there's a lot of artists that i think would fall into the country category oh. but not like the mainstream pop country which is fine i have no problem with it but i stumbled upon an artist named stephen wilson jr uh a week or two ago and i'm absolutely obsessed with him um and the only reason i stumbled on him was uh i don't know if you were familiar with the um showtime series billions it was pretty big during uh the pandemic and they're finally rolling out their final season right now billions has had an uncanny knack of promoting artists you know, uh, by playing their songs at the end of each episode. And this song called The Devil um, from Stephen Wilson Jr. came on. And I was like, who is this guy? And I dove in and I'm like, wow, absolutely unbelievable. But it's been a great summer for seeing a lot of shows. Uh, like one of my one of my favorite uh, kind of under the radar bands is Spanish Love Songs. Um, and I think their next step is 
it's going to happen pretty soon. I think they're, they're really, they're, they're on a tour right now where they're kind of, you know, hanging out with three or four bands and not headlining, but I, I do think their headlining opportunity is going to come at some point really soon. And I was lucky enough to see Noah Khan a couple of times in the summer. And honestly, to see his success is one of the most rewarding things as a, as a person who loves um, music and success stories and, you know, to have like, He's basically got his spring summer tour next year all sold out already and all arena shows save for the finale at Fenway Park. But he's got they just added another show in Toronto. He's going to end up with three sold out shows at Scotiabank Arena. Oh like, my. isn't that in, that's insane for a oh. guy who was just a TikTok sensation? What, like four years ago, something like that? Oh. Like, it's mind blowing to me. And he's a treat to watch. Like, he. The fact that, like so many artists, they're just so appreciative of this unexpected success. Um, and I love love stories like that. But yeah, I've had a, I definitely had a lot of kind of Americana, kind of singer songwriter, you know, country folk stuff. But at the base of it all is usually these artists would never have projected themselves to necessarily be a country artist because all their roots are in like punk rock, metal, rock, you know? And I'm like, I get it. I can hear it. I, I know it's in there. So I'm good. Yeah. All right. And give... then my guy, Rustin Kelly, of course. Oh, okay. So. I wrap it. I like it. All yeah. right. Give me your top concert you've seen and what is at the top of your bucket list. Oh boy. Well, um, it was actually a pretty amazing summer, um, but I don't, it's going to be hard to ever top seeing Taylor Swift, quite honestly. I saw her in Nashville back in May. It was the rain show. Um, so she did not take the stage until 10 after 10. It was looking like the show was going to get canceled. She played till almost 1.30 in the morning. Oh my God. It was like, it was like, you're here. You're not going to get shortchanged. It will be the full show and then some. And it was, I mean, from a, just i don't know how any artist could be better at delivering what she delivered in that moment it was truly remarkable um but like i say i i've had a i've had a really great summer just uh you know seeing a lot of different stuff but but that's that's definitely the one i, I think i saw rustin like five times <laughs> this <laughs> summer um but um yeah bucket list is really tough because i think the one thing that keeps me super engaged in music is I'm constantly evolving with it. And I'm, I'm not like stuck in an era where I only like certain things. And so for me, then the continual discovery of new artists is what makes it super exciting. And then what happens typically is I latch onto a new artist and then I want to go see them three or four times. Right. And so then that becomes like the focus. And I love that. Um, but yeah, boy, the bucket list thing, it was always Led Zeppelin, but of course now, <clears throat> you know, like that, that, that ship came and went in like 2007 when they reunited in London and, you know, they, they re recorded the show and everybody thought, oh, it's going to turn into a world tour and um, without obviously the late John Bonham, but, um, but it never materialized. And yet the only reason I bring it up is because we're still looking at artists like the Stones and the Who and they're still touring and it's like like it sounds preposterous to even bring up led zeppelin but it's like 
Yeah, but they could have because these guys are still doing it, right? But there's no way Plant can do it now. I mean, his life with Allison Krauss has been incredibly rewarding and successful in their own right. But, you know, I could never see him in a position where he was trying to belt out Zeppelin songs. Like, it's just not going to work. Now. I saw him in 2015 in Las Vegas, actually. It was, it was on the day of my 21st birthday. Totally, like, by chance. Did not know he was playing. And he was at the venue next to the hotel that I was staying at. And Duffer, it was probably, I want to say, maybe like a 2,000 person venue, standing room only. And I mean, he he had the juice still. And I'll tell you what was really cool about it is that a lot of times artists, I feel like, will try and do like different interpretations of their songs to try and like change it up or for like some kind of artistic statement, what have you. But he was doing these kind of almost like jazzy versions of of his Zeppelin catalog. Really? Oh, oh my gosh. It was it was unbelievable just seeing how he still just at his age is able to to master a stage in that way but also I mean he's got a one of a kind voice and right. and the way that it's been able to hold up to the degree that it has and again just seeing him kind of you know, because the new stuff, it keeps him engaged. And he obviously has to do some of the Zeppelin stuff just to, you know, for everyone there, it's what they know him for and everything. Mm-hmm. But man, seeing him do just some like kind of, uh, yeah, like a like a jazzy kind of rendition of Whole Lot of Love was like. Which sounds perfect. The fact that it's you saw him in Vegas, right? Like that, <laughs> right, that, right. That, that that's like the stereotypical, you know, like he's doing his Wayne Newton impression. Like what is it? You know, what's yeah, going but- on here? yeah. So I love that. But. You know, when I saw Plant, you'll love this if you love, you know, classic rock um, and just appreciating. Well, here's the thing. Like you never you don't you don't know what you don't know. So at any age of your life, you're going to experience something. It's like, oh, like I thought I knew this, but then I didn't really know it. Right. And in 1989, um, I saw Robert Plant at Maple Leaf Gardens. Stevie Ray Vaughan opened. And so I was. I mean, I knew the name and I mean, his music was always on the classic rock stations, but until I saw it and to this day, like there's never been an opening act blow the roof off a place like that night. And, you know, tragically, it was only about a year later um, he died. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan. And then so I moved out to Calgary to go to college. And the first thing I did Literally, like I arrived at night the next morning. First thing I ever did in Calgary was found my way downtown to a record store to buy two two tickets to see Robert Plant at Saddledome because he was coming up. Uh, this would have been 1990, I think, and the Black Crows were opening. And uh, what a show! Yeah, so I, so it's amazing. Like I just Plant has been such a you know kind of huge presence in my. He's just such a great reference point. Like you know between him and Daltrey, like of the Who, like I just I look at those two and I their stagemanship and um, like, it's just, it's pretty fascinating to to watch how they've been influencers for so long. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Wow. Love yeah. that. I'm glad we got into a little music talk. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Wanted to or not, but no, that's excellent. Well, Duffer, I mean, otherwise though, you know, as we're looking ahead here into the season, getting started, Anything as far as the work with you and Marty and Sabres Live that you guys are, are really looking forward to? Any big interviews coming up or anything like that on the dock? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, we're pretty spontaneous. We 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 wing it on a on a regular basis, but uh, 
No, I think my biggest fear now is like, I'm so comfortable with Marty that I almost don't think about what we're talking about sometimes. <laughs> so, so I'm worried I'm going to let something of mine out that shouldn't come out, or I'm going to prod him in a direction that he's going to feel uncomfortable about. And okay. it'll all be spontaneous and accidental. But uh, no, I honestly, like, I tell people this all the time. Like, it's not, it's not work. I mean, I'm so lucky uh, and grateful to have this, this job. And just working with our the entire crew, but specifically because I'm on the air with Marty. Um, like it's a dream. Like when you don't ever have to worry about the person. And I'm no, I know this is you know, you're so invested in music. Like, I mean, the trust that comes from knowing that the person next to you is gonna do their part and you never, ever, ever have to worry about it. Like Marty is so prepared and his his way of thinking and approaching things is constantly teaching us stuff, you know, or whether it's our producer or myself or whoever, like you're sitting there going like, without, without saying it on air, like, this is really good. Like, awesome. this is really cool, you know? And, and I just, I, I love that aspect of it. So yeah, it's, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I stay tuned on the, uh, on the interview front and stuff like that. But I will say this, like, I think what's changed the most obviously is the social media content. And I think um, to, to put a bow on everything that we've talked about today, I think one of the truly cool ways of evaluating just how close this team is, is like, watch the social media content on an almost daily basis. Oh, yeah. The guys are willing to do everything and they're funny and they're engaged. And that was not always the way. And I think it's a really, it's a great testament to our social media team but it's a really great testament to how the actual team has been built and their willingness to put themselves out there again and, you know, embrace the fun, which is the best part of social media, obviously. hundred percent. I think that's even speaks to kind of a league wide problem that the NHL has with right. being able to showcase their players and allowing them to let their personality shine through. And the thing that's so great about the Sabres team is not only are they fun and exciting, but the personalities of the guys are legitimately funny and engaging, yeah. interesting. And you want to see them in these videos. And, you know, I mean, my God, I look no further than between two stalls, obviously. Oh, but my gosh, it's unbelievable. There's so much there. And they, like you said, it's amazing that they all want to lean into it in this way. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. Well, Duffer, I could not tell you how much we appreciate having you on. It's been a blast getting to chat with you and hopefully we'll be able to have you on again soon. Sounds good, Brandon. Thank you. Excellent. Well, folks, you could find him on Twitter at Duffer Sabres, or you could probably find him at a local music venue near you. But everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this season premiere of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out both of our presenting podcast networks on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. Make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and make sure you're giving them a follow on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of this app, whatever you're using to listen to this episode of Straight Up Sabres, make sure you're following or subscribe to us and leave us a nice little rating or review as we very much appreciate it. Last but not least, folks, we have our wonderful sponsors that we just love oh so dearly in the form of DraftKings Sportsbook. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And last but not least, of course, Thin Man Brewery, wherever you like to pick up your beverages, make sure you're walking out of there with some Thin Man 
brewery beers. We will be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Savers. Sitting on the bedroom floor.